being told right now, and it has been confirmed by uh, Austin Police Department's public information officer, Scott Perry, confirming that a small plane has crashed into the edge of the building. Small plane crash into a building, something um, we don't see in Austin, Texas. This plane came in at a relatively high rate of speed and flying very low. Nothing, nothing is going, is change, going to change, change unless there, unless is, there is, is a body cam. Body cam. He apparently was so obsessed with fighting the tax man that he took his own life, authorities say, after setting his own home on fire. But Joe Stack didn't appear to be angry to some people who knew him. He played music in a band with a group of guys. Could you see this type of behavior festering in a person? Why would someone do this? Joe's friend and bandmate, Rick Furley, joins us now. Rick, did you ever see this kind of anger exhibited? Never, and I couldn't have imagined it. How did you get the word? I mean, how did you find out that he was the pilot uh, who was involved here? I got a personal phone call from the guitarist, and uh, he told me. And that was, that was the only way. I, I wasn't able to listen to the news up until later in the afternoon, so all the information I was getting was firsthand. So when you guys would get together at a gig or at a practice or anything like that, he never mentioned the IRS, never mentioned uh, that he was angry at the government? I never heard him speak of anything other than music. And this is just so mystifying to me. Seemed like a regular guy? Very regular. Just a guy you want to be around. Very, his company was very enjoyable, very intelligent, and he was a good musician. You know, it's it's just so awful to think that not only did he take his own life, but but there was uh, apparently one other victim killed as well, someone who worked in that IRS office. And I think we're lucky that more people didn't perish. I think we're fairly fortunate that it wasn't far worse for the situation. Joe Stack, guy that uh, had it with a lot of different facts of government. I, the news really talked a lot about uh, him being upset with the IRS and taxes and stuff like that. But uh, if you read his manifest, there was a whole lot of things that he was upset with. And pretty much everybody had the same idea that, that it was a horrible platform that he took. And what I ended up pretty much getting out of it is that regardless of what side of the uh, Joe fence you sat on, if you even sat on a side, the part that brought everybody together finding out that each other actually had the same views, the same ideas, the same problems with, with government, the same issues with the economy. And a lot of those people actually were 
from all different political parties, cultures, etc. It was really kind of uh, fascinating what came out of it, the silver lining, if you will. So many people talk about that we need to have sort of a Martin Luther King stance on peaceful revolution, and I totally agree and totally love that. I also know that that is a pacifistic way to keep us happy with our resistance without causing change. In other words, we, we spend a lot of time feeling good that we're doing something nonviolent and have a voice, but it does make enough change. It seems that any revolution that's consistent with a great change has come with armed conflict. As much as it isn't wanted, it's unfortunately a necessary byproduct from our seceding from England's rule to most other great political escapes from tyranny. There's been issues of violence with it. I'm not saying that that should be our first outcome. We should do sort of like what the forefathers of the country did and say, this is the change we need and we're making it. And when they take the steps to retaliate, we can't sit aside and say, we're going to just sit down in Kumbaya. Sooner or later, we're going to have to do something to defend what we believe in besides pen and ink. But I am a pacifist. Being a pacifist is good when there's nothing that needs to be fought for. There comes a time when pacifism is not going to be effective in effecting change. And I hate that. I, I truly hate it. First of all, the, the idea of pacifism equates that there's weakness in non-aggression, and it's the most powerful stance to take. Uh, you only have to look at historically the stance that India took and uh, the actions of Gandhi. It was completely nonviolent and dealing with one of the great superpowers of the world at the time, Great Britain. And the civil rights movement and the activism that was nonviolent protest actually did work and had an effect without resorting to violence. The truth is, regardless of how much you hate it or not, Violence will only beget more violence. You know, if you overthrow by violent means a coup or have a coup uh, to overthrow the powers that be or any governmental organization, invariably that creates more bitterness because it creates an, an us versus them and a winners and losers mentality. And that is a psychic bubble that is just waiting to fester or, you know, begins to fester and waiting for its opportunity to burst again. And all you have is a perpetuation of the same mentality that created the problem that we're in in the first place. The solution is never violence. As much as people are angry, there's better ways to be active. Being a pacifist doesn't mean that you don't do things. It just means that you don't resort to violence to get your point across. The moment that you resort to violence, you've already lost the battle. You've lost the battle with yourself and no matter who ends up being the victor, you're going to end up with resentment, which is going to have a whole other generation that's growing up with a negative viewpoint, and it's just going to perpetuate an endless cycle. I mean, we've seen that throughout history. So if ever there was a time to change that cycle of violence and violent rebellion, it's now. There are plenty of ways to get the word out and to motivate people, and invariably the government is run by people, and the military is run by people that have families in this country in terms of people revolting against the powers that be, against our government. What are they going to do, wield the military against all of us if we stood up in unison? It's not going to happen, because those people that are in the military have families here, and they're not going to wage war on their own families. Intelligent dialogue ultimately will win. It has to come from a place of genuine 
understanding and enlightenment. Otherwise, we're just doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again in perpetuity. We do live in a culture that is very, as I often am guilty of saying, it's very linear, very dualistic in its framework and its mindset. And you see that in a number of facets of society. In this issue, what we're finding a lot with the dialogue that's happening because of Joe Stack is that we tend to think one way or the other. Either we have to condone this violent act or we have to dismiss it as a nut job. And I think that the truth is much more complex than that. When you look at history, people pick an agenda and they fight to the death for it because that is supposed to denote some type of real passion and real belief in what you're striving for because you're willing to die for it. But living by the sword and dying by the sword that type of thought process has been the demise of civilizations as far back into recorded history as can be traced. Continuing this thinking and these patterns only causes history to repeat itself. There is not an argument alive that is going to sway me to the belief that the actions Joe Stack took can be justified in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there were many people injured, one man killed, he, he was a son, he was a father, he was a grandfather, he was an uncle, a brother. People cared about him. And regardless of how we view how evil the IRS may be or how corrupt our government may be, that gentleman happened to be one of us. He just happened to be going to work and trying to make his way in this world. And there is never a time where somebody's beliefs trump the rights of somebody else to be alive. There is never just cause to take a life. I sure as hell do not condone the death penalty. And um, these are people who are confirmed to to be evil in the in the eye of the moral standards that we hold as a nation, as we hold as a species. I don't condone ending that person's life. So how could I ever turn around and say, well, you know, He's trying to make a point. So it's justifiable to make sure that his message is really driven home. There's just absolutely no way I could ever bring myself to say those words and mean them. My interpretation of the Joe Stack event started with finding out that it happened, getting some resources from Brian, and then doing research on my own. Initially, I don't really trust any kind of statements made by organizations or people that have been proven untrustworthy. In this case, what I mean is any kind of official statement coming from a government. I think they're automatically suspect because they've been, most of the organizations in the government have been proven untrustworthy. In doing my research, I don't want to color what I'm going to find, what information I'm going to find by my own opinion. So initially, I thought that if no one was, was actually hurt, that this was uh, an unfortunate case of a man that decided to kill himself and take out part of the IRS building. And then reading his manifesto, I completely identified with the man. And then as more information came out that people were actually hurt, killed by this, the story changes, that my opinion is changing. That's because when the facts change, I change my mind. I don't do the thing where I have my stance and then everything else is going to have to fit around that. My agenda is to get to the truth. So Lupe, how did you find out about it? What are your thoughts on it? My initial instinct was, yeah, you know, give them the fuck you. Right now, like, my mind has been on all these different institutions that are just 
doing these excess abuses to the people and this pretty much like strangling us of our money initially it was so nice to see that one person is fed up and saying i'm fed up this is what you get contextualizing it and seeing no you know there's people in that building and he could have done it in the nighttime or sometime when he knew nobody was there the symbolic nature of it if we want change do we take violent actions no i don't believe that especially at this moment it's so exciting to have the internet and text and to be able to just like change things so quickly because i really think that if we just have more people and we're more united then we wouldn't even have to resort to violence moving your money getting our money out of those six banks that are too big to fail like you know if everybody gets on it it doesn't have to be about congress being on their ass and regulating them anthem is like like i said raising it by 40% for some people boom if everybody said forget it i don't want this then they would change their ways they wouldn't have to wait for regulation from the government they'd be regulated because we are constantly on them and i think because we've all barely started with the internet i feel like it's just beginning but as we become more and more connected we can really force these things it's just more like a social pressure as opposed to a violent form or a violent act it's a mystery to me we have agreed with which we have agreed think you have to want more than you need until you have it all you won't be free society you're a crazy breed i hope you're not lonely without me want more than you have you think you need and when you think more than you want your thoughts begin to bleed i think i need to find a bigger place cuz when you have more than you think you need more space society your crazy You're not lonely without me society crazy and deep hope you're not lonely without me is more but if less is more how you keep in score means for every point you make your level drops kind of like you're starting from the top and you can't do 
anxiety Your crazy breath I hope you're not lonely Without me Society Crazy indeed I hope you're not lonely Without me Society Have mercy on me I hope you're not angry If I disagree Society Crazy indeed I hope you're not lonely Joe Stack's case certainly points to an underlying current and that there's a lot of people that are really fed up with the insanity that has become our way of life. And we can all point fingers at, well, it's these various uh, corporations and institutions, but we have collectively allowed them to assume the control and the power that they have. And the only way to rectify that is to take the power back, as Lupe said, by exercising not just your vote, but where you spend your money. This conversation and conversations such as this that really explore it and, and educate people and unite people to the fact that we do have a voice and it is one of peace and it is one of equality and it is coming from an enlightened perspective is the only way to bring about that real change that we all collectively seek. I mean, there is a real evolutionary tension that is going on on this planet right now where things have gotten so bad and we're at the really at that threshold where... We either figure it out or we annihilate ourselves, which is why I can never advocate further violence because it's only going to exacerbate itself. And since we live in this nuclear world now, I don't think that that's a very good idea. You have to be able to extrapolate your thoughts out on a global perspective and see how how is that going to affect real change. Well, everybody getting pissed off and resorting to violence is only going to leave the world on fire. So since that's not really an option, what are we left with? And it comes down to a personal choice to consciously evolve and to be that change, to say, yes, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, but that means I'm not going to play that game. And so you remove yourself from that game and find peace in this moment. We have this tendency to demonize people that do not agree with our particular viewpoint, and that is not, that is not an enlightened society. Jordan in her email had said that you can't sit around waiting for everybody to be enlightened because that's never going to happen. But it does begin someplace, and it always begins with an individual that stands up and says, wait a minute, let's all take a collective deep breath and take a look at what are we really trying to do as a species on this planet. Until people really begin to adopt a more global perspective and see themselves as a part of the whole and not... Well, they're different from us because they have different income stream or uh, a different role politically or a different ideology, and, and therefore they're beneath us or they're not as good as we are. We are doomed to fail. I think that we've gotten to a time where we're all smart enough to recognize that the ways of old don't work anymore, and that's what this real evolutionary shift is about. I have this poster in my house, and it's a Chinese proverb, and it says, if there's light in their soul... There will be beauty in the person. If there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. If there is harmony in the house, 
there will be order in the nation. And if there's order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. That's just my basic ideology. And so, of course, my perception of how things could work, like Joshua said, it does begin from within. And if I can get that to happen and I can focus on those things, even within my house, I'm sure in some collective way, like through collective conscious or or something, you know, we will have greater effect. There's a lot of um, potential where we can take this. And I think we just haven't fully tapped into how powerful this can be. Ultimately, what do you think Joe Stack's actions have done that were productive and regressive? What's the fruition of his actions? Whenever someone like uh, Joe does what he did, it takes away some of the validity of his beliefs. I've read, you know, the arguments on both sides of whether he's a hero or a terrorist. And quite honestly, he has been put into the nut job pile. And his beliefs are the rantings of some raving lunatic who is obviously deranged. So instead of actually getting his word out there in in a way that it might have actually been received better, it's tainted. And so although there's a lot of enlightening conversation going on where people are discussing this and talking about, you know, what he had right, what he had wrong, still, whenever these issues come into play in the future for people trying to make changes that fall in line with the changes that he saw needing to be changed, then it's going to have a tendency to be grouped back into that, oh, that's just uh, more deranged talking. For those of us who are focused on finding the truth in ourselves and in our world and would like to think that we are creatures that are reaching towards enlightenment, growing towards enlightenment, when you're presented with Someone that goes on a killing spree, be that one or two people or thousands or hundreds of thousands as we've done in the Middle East, genocide, murder, these are all, I think, obviously bad things. But when they do happen, like, you know, George W. Bush becoming president, and it seemed that every single thing that the administration did seemed to be, it was just inconceivable if you were trying to focus on how to live a truthful life, such contradiction. And... What it did for a lot of us, though, I, I think, is help to crystallize what we think good actually is, because it was pretty clear there was an example of what it was not. And with Joe Stack doing what he did, I, I do think that it it's, has the potential to crystallize the vision of what it is that those of us who feel the way that he did, what the proper course is to take if you feel that way. And because it's clearly not the way he did it, if we do agree with him, what is the right way to, to fight this? What's the right way to, to make revolution happen? And hopefully we, we can find that starting with ourselves and not doing it in any kind of violent manner. I think part of that is you have to change the vocabulary that we use to discuss it, removing words like fight it, because that implies, again, an us versus them and a conflict-oriented subject-object view of the world. I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. I really know nothing about any of this. Really, really, I don't. I've been sort of cornered. It, it wasn't quite like a hippie thing, and I only got like a, a few months of it, you know. But the thing is, I was in this world of like uh, really sensitive and warm, fuzzy, loving area when I got confronted, accosted by forces, people, attitudes, emotions, 
authority figures that were very much like a knife cutting through skin. For the last eight years, I mean, I pretty much got molested by this force that says if you're gentle, you're weak, you know what I mean? You just get run over by this. I had a purpose for not being aggressive and all that because there's so much in your mind that you cannot experience when you're under this aggressive state. It was more than just not wanting to navigate through troubled waters. It was actually a purpose for experiencing something different in life. So out of this hot seat of feeling like I was cornered and, and molested for eight years under this different sort of aggression and everything, you know, when I see something like this, I feel this sense of salvation. But, I mean, surely that's not my only emotion and I have a ton of different things and I'm sure that I'm wrong on many different levels but yet really I guess if, if I had one emotion that dominated all the other ones uh, I feel there's a lot of people that die just hard workers and never really get to uh, experience what they thought that they would or that they were working towards and lives end that way I mean it, there's no promotion for getting in a plane or not or whatever but I just mean like it's sad that work all their lives for something and, and many of them get nothing somebody made a stand for us and saved a lot of us and I don't know exactly how or how to even talk about it but somebody just gave their life I know it sounds like I'm promoting it but I'm just saying like a lot of us won't die now where do you base the idea that someone else won't die because of their stack time if I knew somebody that tortured people and I stabbed them in the eyeball tomorrow then all of a sudden there's less torture. How is he going to talk about it? If I don't say it and then somebody else says it, or if I write it down and somebody else says the words, then it gets maybe they're wrong or they're wacky. That screwed up situation to be in where you had to reason through that is imposed upon people. That's not something that they came up with, that they floated around and thought, well, this will be nice to put my mind on. We were quaint and we were comfortable, but we were never content. I think now that things have gotten to the extent that they've gotten, people are, are finally strong enough to say, hey man, this was always screwed up. Something needs to happen. It's just a very volatile, intense time and people are just wanting outlets and waiting for something to spark. If God is true, and he is in the details, then the devil is in the outcome. And if stories are to be believed, the former created the latter one. We try too hard to justify our weak and baseless acts. Yet science brings more questions and hides as many facts. So bow down bow to, down the, to the, altars the altars of test tubes or religious piety. Neither qualified, for neither could save me. Both have helped and killed us all, mental shackles and new disease. Both have hurt and saved us all with self-serving dichotomies. To prove we're right, we'll take the wrong and force them, to, force their them knees, to their knees and make them sing all our songs and harmonize the melodies. I just might believe in both of them while neither seem to believe in me. Religion and science are fanatic dialects spoken with similar decrees. Believe in all the details, yet the outcome justifies. We'll pave the road we travel with the bones of doing right. So God's details have a place in me, and I guess the devil's outcome too. I'd like to think it's otherwise, but I'm afraid it's true. So make your peace with your duality, and live by your creeds. Prove your faith by showing love, or pave the filthy streets.
Robert Paul Wolf writes, authority is the right to command, or correlatively, the right, the right, the right to be, to be obeyed, obeyed, obeyed. It must be distinguished from power, which is the ability to compel compliance, either through the use of threat or force. When I turn over my wallet to a thief who is holding me at gunpoint, I do so because the fate with which he threatens me is worse than the loss of money, which I am made to suffer. I grant that he has power over me, but I would hardly suppose that he has authority, 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 that is, that he has the right to demand my money, and that I have an obligation to give it to him. When the government presents me with a bill for tax, on the other hand, I pay it, and parenthetically says normally, <laughs> even though I do not wish to, and even if I think I can get away with not paying, it is, after all, the duly constituted government and hence has the right to tax me. It has authority over me. Sometimes, of course, I cheat the government. But even so, I acknowledge its authority. For who would, for speak, who would speak of cheating, 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 cheating? To claim authority is to claim the right to be obeyed. To have authority is then what? It may mean to have that right, or it may mean to have one's claim acknowledged and accepted by those at whom, at whom it is directed. So he defines authority, then he defines autonomy as our responsibility, and then he, he paints this picture where one takes the space of the other. So if you have authority, then inherently you have the absence of the truest sense of autonomy. So it's strange, you know, because you go into this and you, and you even read the word anarchism and you're like, well, this can't be good, but... Once you get through it, you realize that there are some incredible arguments for things that we just have different meanings attached to than what other people do. He really paints a picture of a higher level of responsibility. There's a documentary act talking about how us paying our taxes is really illegal. It's not in the Constitution. They were actually fighting it. And somehow, if you really didn't pay them, you really weren't unconstitutionally wrong or something supreme court before the 1930s i believe it was unconstitutional to pay taxes from your job and to also pay taxes to the government how many of you out there pay taxes ah 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 confess confess i pay taxes i confess and the only reason I pay taxes is out of fear of getting busted for not paying taxes. But I would gladly pay those taxes, and maybe quite a bit more when I could, if I knew that money was being used for real needs of real people. Getting rid of the crooks and turning things around for real will probably require a revolution. The kind of revolution that the people of Romania, Czechoslovakia, and Nicaragua thought was impossible until they actually went out and did it. The kind that will only happen over here when more people realize that overthrowing the rich is not just in our own best interest, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I was a CPA before I started at the IRS. I started at the IRS in 1988. 
Any, any internal revenue agents in here? Any FBI agents in here? Anybody go ahead and stand up? I'd like to talk to you guys. I'd like to, to educate you. In 88, I started at the IRS. I was there. I started off as a revenue agent. I left in 95. Anybody know Bill Conklin? Bill Conklin had a $50,000 reward for anybody who could prove, and I'm paraphrasing, that we owe taxes. And you know, really, $50,000 to me is a lot of money. I am not able to prove this man wrong. Maybe after two weeks, I, I discovered this thing is a big hoax. Once I realized that this was a fraud, I immediately started telling people about it. And I am a certified fraud examiner, and I am examining the biggest fraud this country ever had. You used to work for the IRS. What makes you say that most Americans don't have to pay income taxes? Well, the sheer uh, solidness of the evidence. Uh, I did about two years of investigation part-time while I was a special agent for the IRS, and really uh, couldn't help but conclude that the evidence showed that most Americans weren't required to pay it, at least not according to the laws passed by Congress. Uh, when you actually look at the statutes and regulations rather than just the IRS pamphlets, you learn that uh, the income tax doesn't have quite the application that the IRS would lead the American people to believe. We were trying to have a hearing whereby Department of Justice and IRS officials would appear and answer questions and they pulled out at the last minute. So they act very suspiciously when asked to simply sit down at the table with the American people and discuss what their obligations are. Rather than pulling up a chair, they pull out a club. The New York Times reported just today that for the 11,000 largest corporations, the chance of an audit has fallen by almost 50% in the last decade. If you're reading this, you're no doubt asking yourself, why did this have to happen? The simple truth is that it's complicated and has been coming for a long time. The writing process, he goes on to say, started many months ago, was intended to be therapy in the face of looming realization that there isn't enough therapy in the world that can fix what is really broken. Sadly, starting in the early ages, we in this country have been brainwashed to believe that in return for our dedication and service, our government stands for justice for all. We're further brainwashed to believe that there is freedom in this place and that we should be ready to lay our lives down for noble principles represented by the Founding Fathers. Remember, one of these was no taxation without representation. There are two interpretations for every law, he says, one for the very rich and one for the rest of us. Oh, and the monsters are the very ones making and enforcing the laws. The Inquisition is still alive and well today in this country. That little in lesson in patriotism cost me $40,000 plus, 10 years of my life, and set my retirement plans back to zero. It made me realize for the first time that I live in a country with an ideology that's based on a total and complete lie. It also made me realize not only how naive I've been, but also the incredible stupidity of the American public, that they buy hook, line, and sinker the crap about their freedom, and that they continue to do so with eyes closed in the face of overwhelming evidence and all that keeps happening in front of them. Sadly, though, I spent my entire life trying to believe it wasn't so, but violence not only is the answer, it is the only answer. The cruel joke is that the really big chunks of stuff at the top have known this all along and have been laughing at and using this awareness against fools like me all along. I saw it written once that the definition of insanity is repeating the same process over and over and expecting the outcome to suddenly be different. I'm finally ready to stop this insanity. Well, Mr. Big Brother IRS man, let's try something different. Take my pound of flesh and sleep well.
says the communist creed first, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, the capitalist creed from each according to his gullibility to each according to his greed. And then he signs it, Joe Stack, born 1956, died 2010, and dated this to 18, 2010.